today starting off our show. We visit What Mothers and Caregivers Want, which is an international survey. This survey was put together by a global group in the global south as well as the global north. It was launched on International Women's Day of 2022 as part of marking the 50th anniversary of the Wages for Housework campaign. Now, the survey is in several languages, and we're going to be hearing from our guest, Peggy Amara, a bit more about the survey and also the importance of it and how you can participate. The organizers of the survey say, while there is increased recognition that caring work is indispensable, those doing this work, overwhelmingly women, are never asked what we think about how we spend our time, the resources we have or don't have, and our relationship with the people we care for. The survey aims to find out what mothers and other caregivers in different countries and of different genders and backgrounds want. Before we welcome our guests, we are going to listen to some caregivers who are speaking out in very some in very different circumstances. First, we're going to hear from Elizabeth who is from Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. And then that's going to be followed by the voice of Bonita Lawrence, who as an Indigenous woman based in Canada. Let's go to those clips now. Hello, everyone. My name is Elizabeth, and I live in Yango, Myanmar. I am a mother of two daughters, and I work full-time supporting the rights of migrant workers and their families. Currently, everyone in Myanmar is struggling to survive under the COVID pandemic and the military coup. The military coup has increased the stress and workload of women. We have to queue for hours just to get money from the ATM. We have to leave our homes at home or delete everything before we go out to the market. At night, we prepare emergency bags ready to run if needed. We must be alert all the time because the security forces can come to our homes and arrest us. Unexpected bone explosions and shooting are happening very often in the city. Therefore, no matter if we stay at home or go out, it is not safe. We also have to be strong and not show our fear to protect our children from nightmares and feeling of insecurity. Working from home, we no longer have our community of women friends with whom we could share our fears and relax and have fun together. For women in ethnic areas, the situation is even worse with airstrike, facing them to take their children and run for safety and hide in the jungle. Some of these challenges have been newly created by the situation of COVID and the coup, and others are very old, based in so-called Burmese traditions regarding the role of women. We do have hope, though. Our spring revolution to defeat the military is also challenging these old ways of thinking. Last year on International Women's Day, to protect their communities, women hang they are surround at the entrance to their streets. Burmese men consider women clothing dirty and will not walk under the surround for fears of losing their virility. Therefore, the soldiers did not enter those communities. Women have also joined the armed resistance forces fighting alongside their brothers. They have led and joined the street protests 
and our pot and pans for cooking have been banged fiercely at night to express our outrage at the military takeover. At this time, we cannot depend on everyone to change things for us. We can only depend on ourselves. As women, we have to stay united and connected and to resist the oppression in all its forms. Today, the struggle for democracy is hand in hand with the struggle for equality and equity. We now need to make sure it also includes respect for the work we do in the home, in the workplace, and for the future of the country. Being part of the global women's strike is really important for us, as we know that we can only whisper, you will be there to amplify our voices. Thank you so much. Bonita Lawrence from Canada. Bonita is McLeod and teaches in the Indigenous Studies Program at York University in Toronto, Canada. Bonita. I'm not a mother, although I've helped to raise my nieces and nephews. But when I was a child, we always worried about being taken away. My mother was a single mother who was native with five children. The only reason we weren't taken by children's aid was because we grew up in a white community being non-status. Because the taking away of children of native mothers is something that's huge in Canada. It's really, it can be considered genocide. It started with residential schooling that went on for over a century in Canada. The last residential school closed in 1994, but they began to take away the children from Native communities. That became possible in 1951. And from that point onwards, social workers drove school buses onto reserves to take children. Some communities lost all of their children. For these children, of course, when you grow up in care, you age out at 18 if you're lucky, if not the adoptions or the foster system breaks down and you end up on the street. So it's a terrible thing. Within a couple of years of this change in legislation in 1951, the number of children in care, Native children in care, jumped to 95% in many of the Northern agencies. Now, there was some intergenerational trauma going on. So children were taken away because of neglect. But Canada would only pay for in-care costs. So rather than supporting families in crisis the way they were doing in white communities, they just took the children in Native communities. Most of it was poverty. They thought that poverty, no matter how well the children were being cared for, was enough to take them away. And they thought that Native mothers are not proper mothers. And it's continued for the past 70 years, the taking of children. Now there's more Native children in care than there were at the height of residential schools. Native children are 120 times likely to be apprehended by children's aid than white children, 120 times as likely. So it's something that's genocidal. There's no other way. It's clearly a way of destroying Native families, which is what Canada has been trying to do for many, many years. We're 6% of the population, I should say. 6% of the population, 120 times as likely to lose our children. This is starting to happen with Black communities as well. And in Canada, are primarily, except for the East Coast, where people were brought in as slaves early or came in after the American Revolution. Other than that, most Black people in Canada are immigrants from the Caribbean, uh, which has been going, you know, for the past 50 years, uh, and more recently from Africa. And they... They started criminalizing. The media was filled with ideas that uh, young black youths were criminals. 
And this was, I think, the pretext. So they've begun to take the children of Black mothers now. Black mothers are now 40 times as likely to be apprehended as white children. And many of them, of course, are immigrant families. All righty. You are hearing the voices of uh, mothers and other caregivers uh, speaking out. This, uh, These clips are from an event at the launching of the Mothers Survey, a global what do mothers and other caregivers want. We'll be discussing with our guest, Peggy O'Mara, shortly. But first, let's hear two more voices. One, Michelle Kane, who is based in Scotland with Scotland Kinship Care, and also Eric Gertson, a man who is a caregiver based in Pennsylvania. Let's go to those voices now. Hi, I'm Micheline Kane, a grandmother, and I look after my two grandchildren as my daughter is not well enough to look after them. I live in Glasgow in Scotland. I'm also the head of Scottish Kinship Care Alliance, a grassroots campaigning group which fights for justice for vulnerable children being looked after by kinship carers, mostly grandmothers. We campaign to get the same money, resources and services for our children that foster parents get. We support over 1,000 carers all over Scotland. We fight to keep our grandchildren together in the home with their families and their siblings and prevent them from being fostered out or taken away into adoption. It is tough and it is a heartbreaking job, but it's also our labour of love. But we are impoverished and often penalised for doing which is outrageous. How does it help any of our children or any of our carers? We also fight for money and resources for the young mothers so that their children are not taken away because of poverty, ill health, or sadly, addictions in the first place. We are glad to be part of this international survey asking mothers and other carers what they want so that mums and grands can put our view across of what we want and we need. We wish every woman worldwide today love and peace. My partner, Tanya, and I took care of her mother, who was in her 80s in her own home, until she passed away in 2017. She had been seriously injured in a car accident in 2010 and had lasting physical and cognitive trauma that meant she needed 24-hour support for daily activities, such as personal care, keeping a calendar, cooking, cleaning, doing finances, transportation, and much more. And despite uh, us having the crucial supports of home health workers uh, a few hours a week, and also uh, she was able to attend an adult day program, we were often overwhelmed with the stresses of being ultimately responsible for another human being 24-7, particularly for my partner, who was her primary caregiver. Like many women facing the double day, I often felt that my wage work was the easier and less stressful of my jobs. Um, We did not receive any money for this work. Uh, There is a little money available for family caregivers now from the state, uh, but it's paid much less than even home health care workers who receive horrible wages and few benefits. If we want to make it possible for more people to choose to do this work, uh, particularly men uh, who have relied on women to do do the work, um, we have to confront the fact 
that when we set out to truly care for a loved one, particularly someone vulnerable to abuse, uh, like an older person with disabilities, you soon find yourself in a struggle against an industry that prioritizes making money off the people they are supposed to care for and off of us, the caregivers. Um, and this more than anything else was what I remember uh, as the source of the stress in our lives. The industry really has an army of, of different agents, including many doctors and lawyers, uh, social workers, and even our own family members uh, who thought that you know they knew better than us non-professionals. Um, we had to constantly negotiate to protect our mother's ability to make her own fundamental decisions. Uh, and luckily, there were some advocates we found. Um, uh, my partner had to search high and low to find them uh, who actually supported caregivers and the rights of those with dementia. Um, caring really changes you. And men who do this caregiving work can learn what mothers know, how to put the needs of others before our own. It's hard work, but it's also rewarding and liberating. Uh, in Payday Men's Network that I work with, we focus on opposing the death and destruction caused by war and militarism, with the opposite of caring for life. This survey could give us crucial leverage in the struggle to, by exposing the work, uh, what we want for it and helping us get it. Many more of us would be able to choose to do this life-giving work, providing a better alternative to the nursing home industry and adding years of life to caregivers and their loved ones alike. Thank you very much. Wow, hearing from different sectors of uh, caregivers, you just heard Eric Gerdson say, caring changes you. And he describes how that happens. You put the needs of others before your own. I'd now like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Peggy Omara, independent journalist who edits and publishes PeggyOmara.com. She was editor and publisher of Mothering Magazine for over 30 years. Her books include Having a Baby Naturally, Natural Family Living, The Way Back Home, and A Quiet Place. She's conducted workshops at Omega Institute, Esalon, Hollyhock, La Leche League, and Bioneer. She is the recipient of the La Leche League International 2001 Alumni Association Award. She is the mother of four and grandmother of three, and Peggy was part of the team that developed uh, the survey what do mothers and other caregivers want, and also monitoring the progress of the survey. Peggy, welcome back. Thank you so much, Margaret. Great to be here. Okay, so Peggy, we heard voices um, uh, ranging from Myanmar, where there's a military dictatorship, uh, to Scotland, uh, to indigenous uh, woman base in Canada, to a male uh, caregiver. In the process of the survey, and you've been monitoring the surveys coming in, Tell us a bit about the sectors of people that you're hearing from, because they're not just from one particular uh, grouping or economic background or even country. Peggy O'Mara. Yes, it's been an amazing uh, response, really. Um, we have answers. Well, let me first say, Margaret, that the survey is in four languages. So it does reach an international audiences in English, Spanish, Thai and Italian, and it's soon to be in Hindi. And we have responses now from 49 countries and from six continents. And while most are from the UK, the USA, and Thailand, we have responses from Germany, Italy, Brazil, Fiji, 
Myanmar, Burma, Nepal, India, Syria, Uganda, Russia, and the Ukraine. In terms of sectors, most of the responses are from those who identify as women, but 4% of the responses are from trans women, 3% from those who identify as men, and 2% from those who identify as non-binary. We have a broad distribution of ages from 19 years old to over 60. Most are in opposite sex marriage or partnerships, but 43% are single, 5% are in same sex marriage or partnerships, 41% are white, 24% are Asian, 13% are black or of African descent, 8% Hispanic or Latinx, 7% of mixed race, 4% of are um, indigenous, and nearly 50% have no or low income because as we know, and as was mentioned before, many caregivers um, are most, I mean, the vast majority of caregivers are unpaid and most of them live in poverty. Um, 77% of the respondents are mothers, 45% are unpaid caregivers, and 11% are paid caregivers. Wow, just incredible information being gathered there, Peggy. And with the situation, I mean, we, with COVID coming on the scene, I think the whole world saw the centrality yes. of the work of caregiving. Well, caregiving is the underbelly of the economy. I mean, without the it, caregiving, nothing would happen. Without feeding, so, taking care of homes, uh, cleaning things, maintaining things is the underbelly of the production of our economy. And we just tend to dismiss it and let it go by without hardly any support. And as you said, that's why we did the survey, because nobody ever asks mothers and caregivers what they want. We have very few policies in the United States that help caregivers. And even when those policies are in um, discussion, you know, they're usually follow the interests of business, not the interests of what the people and the caregivers really need. Right. The work is being seen as a, somehow a charity, but we know that caregivers, unpaid caregiving, creates uh, trillions of dollars for the economy worldwide and in the United States millions of dollars worldwide. And this uh, information you're gathering is really critical right now because we saw that the child tax credit um, was, you know, stopped basically, the expanded child tax credit. There's now a growing movement that is calling for a permanent uh, child allowance for children in the United States as happened in most Western countries. And of course, you and I, Peggy, are both part of the movement calling for a care income. So tell us now where things are, the stage you are with the survey, because it's critical. And I'm actually hoping that our Sojourner Truth listeners, not only in Southern California, but in all of the cities and rural areas that hear our show, will be able to participate. So also let our listeners know how they can participate. Peggy Omada. Yeah, the survey was launched in March of 2022, and we want to keep it open until for a couple more months or another month or so, we have nearly a thousand responses and we want to get over a thousand responses in order to have a really good pool of answers that we can um, speak about in terms of the results. Uh, I'm hoping that you can put the links to the surveys, the survey on your website. Um, I don't think giving the link over the air would be helpful. Um, Will you be able to do that, Margaret? Put the links to the four. We will get it. We'll get it out to our social media. And also we know that people can find information on the survey and how to participate in different languages if they go to globalwomenstrike.net. 
globalwomenstrike.net. They'll get that information as well. Uh, but Peggy, to, to, to meet even a thousand, um, which I know was the initial goal, how many more do we need? How many more of our listeners do we need participating? We are, we are, you know, we just are getting a, just a lot, even the last few days. Um, we need about another 80 surveys, let's say 100 surveys we would need to really complete it. Um, but we're very, very close. We have over 900 at this point, 920, I think. So we really want, you know, and I think the thing to mention that I'd like to mention is the survey is has 45 questions. It takes about 11 minutes. So it takes a bit of time, but it's very thought provoking because it really asks a lot of questions um, that are important to caregivers. It asks people how, if they get the support they need, if they have a disability, um, if they themselves want to be cared for in their home or by professionals, how they have cared for their own children, if they were ever separated from their children, as, as Bonita has mentioned, how many hours they spend caring for others, if they think the government supports mothers, children, older people, and people with disabilities. It's really an opportunity for people to speak out about the unspoken, about the things that we know. So many people are taking care of their neighbors. They're taking care of people with mental um, illness, with chronic illness. They're caring for elderly relatives and friends. Um, they're, you know, as Eric mentioned previously, they're doing a double day. Uh, right. So it would really be helpful to get a wide variety of voices um, for the survey. We feel good about what we've got, but we need more surveys and we'd love to have um, your audience uh, fill out the survey and let us know what their experiences have been, because we want to tell others, we want to make a case for caregivers, mothers and other caregivers about what they need. And as you said, advocate for a caregiving income to help those caregivers. The, what happened with the child tax credit was disgraceful. There was wide popular support for that across party lines, across racial lines. Um, and, you know, the Republicans just shut it down. Right. And and Peggy, uh, we, we are going to have to end it there. But um, okay. just to remind our audience that the United States is actually third in responses. Thailand is ahead of, of the U.S. So oh, folks, just li catching, listen we're up. Catching. We're catching up. Well, we're I catching up. We're almost so. there, Margaret. Okay. And oh, again, yeah, we need more. I mean, for such a big country, we have a, yeah, we, we definitely need more, more, more responses from the U.S. Right. And again, go to globalwomenstrike.net and you will be able to access the survey and uh, fill it out. Peggy O'Mara, thank you so very much for joining us and for your work. Thank you, Margaret.